Hi, I'm Sarah Schweig at the Center for Court Innovation, and today I'm speaking with Jim Henderson. Jim provides technical assistance as a trainer and lecturer to courts, probation offices, and other criminal justice agencies to help them improve their responses to domestic violence as part of the Federal Office on Violence Against Women's Battered Women's Justice Project. Jim also acts as a consultancy team member for the Family Justice Center Alliance, the Battered Women's Justice Program, and the Center for Court Innovation. Thanks for speaking with me today, and welcome. Thank you. So what are the biggest challenges probation departments face when working with domestic violence offenders, and how does the court monitor compliance? I think probably the biggest challenge is figuring out how to do an adequate assessment. You know, are we getting um, police reports that are well written and well thought out? Did the detectives do an appro- appropriate investigation and questioning? Do we have access to 911 tapes? Do we have access to prior personal protection orders, prior police reports, calls to the home? So are we really looking at domestic violence in the whole context of what's really going on? Then if we're doing that, are we then be able to collect that information in a way and disseminate it to the judge where it makes a meaningful impact for sentencing? Hopefully, if everything goes well, we're able to assess who truly is the batterer who is the um, true victim in, in context, look at what type of intervention we feel would be most helpful as far as enhancing victim safety and holding the offender accountable. From there, I get it's trying to make sure that the judge is adequately informed about, all right, how, what are we doing? You know, how's the program operating? Do probation officers have the training they need to be able to talk to those who are victimized by the violence? That's another challenge because we're trained so much to really investigate a case and kind of be a little hard-nosed at times. And when we talk to a victim, if we investigate it appropriately and she's 100% honest, sometimes that can result in collateral consequences to her or retaliation that we get frustrated with when we're trying to talk to her and we feel she's not being forthcoming. Mm -hmm. And, And trying to get probation officers to understand that it may not be in her best interest to be forthcoming and why she may recant or change her story or why she might take him back in looking at that entirety and helping probation officers really kind of come to that realization has been difficult. You've utilized probation group reporting to gain better compliance. Can you talk a bit about what it is exactly and how that works? What happens when when we came into the domestic violence field, it actually fit very well with my training as a social worker in the sense that we really look at systems. So it's saying, okay, if we're really going to address domestic violence, it has to be a a community process. So, you know, are police on board? Are the prosecutors on board? What are the messages they're sending to those victimized to the community and to the assailants. You know, how, what's the judge doing? What are victim services that are in place? What are children's services that are in place? So as a probation agent, I was trying to figure out how do I better collaborate and learn from my partners? What trainings can I get from the shelter? How do I incorporate their voices or their experiences into our policy so that we're not creating policy or engaging in practices that actually hurt or hinder? the people we say we're there to protect, right? right, And that takes a lot of time, going to these CCR meetings, watching the batteries intervention programs to make sure they're actually doing what they say they do, doing home visits, contacting victims. When I seen defendants in a traditional manner, in individual sessions, it seemed like every single client had the exact same roadblocks to success, needed the same kind of threats or you know um, accountability plans, needed the same pep talks, mm-hmm. And it was a waste of time. There was one day I seen every client back to back to back. I had like 14 clients. At the end of the day, 
It's at 5 o'clock. I finally get to listen to my messages. Three victims called. The judge called twice. And I wasn't able to get a hold of any of those people because it was after 5. And so I'm like, this isn't working because every defendant, I could have put them all in one room, played a tape, and said, listen to the first guy I talked to, and it would have got accomplished the same thing. So I said, well, then why don't I do that? We created the probation group reporting really as a time-saving mechanism so I would have more time to reach out to victims and work with community partners. What happened was almost overnight our compliance rate rose to the ceilings because mm-hmm. we started being able to break down barriers to successful completion of probation by using other offenders' experience who had successfully achieved that. So an example would be if you're not able to make it to AA, mm-hmm. and so that's because you don't have a driver's license. So then we talk about in a group, well, how are other people getting to AA? And people are brainstorming all these different options. People are telling the guy about meetings he may not have known about. People are offering to pick him up. People are talking about their sponsor who lives two houses down from the offender and they're willing to give him his number. So all of a sudden he had all these new resources opened up to him that I couldn't do individually. And he also seen that some of his excuses were lame, that other people had accomplished with larger roadblocks for being compliant. And so it just ended up being not just a time-saving mechanism, it ended up being our batter's intervention compliance went right through the ceiling. Um, people who are violating probation dramatically decreased because now, let's say you're skipping meetings. So we're going to violate you and take you back to court and a judge is going to give you one day jail for every day you missed of the batter's intervention program. Well now, instead of me even doing that, I can go around the room and say, okay, George, I understand you haven't gone to the program. You don't have time. Is anybody else not gone to the program? Mm-hmm. Right, five guys raise up their hand. We say, all right, so Tom, what happened to you? The judge gave me one day jail for every day I missed. Michael, what did the judge do to you? She gave me one day jail for every day I missed. Thomas, what did the judge do to you? She gave me one day jail for every day I missed. Now I can go back to defendant A and say, okay, when I violate you, what do you think the judge is going to do? He already knows. Well, it sounds like she's going to give me one day of jail for every day I missed. Is that what you want? No, that's not going to be helpful to me. So then I say, okay, group, what do you guys think we can do to help Thomas so he doesn't go to jail? And they will tell him a variety of ways that he can get compliant before we go back to court. So then the other guy who's sitting in a room who hasn't screwed up yet and is thinking about it <laughs> already has been taught, oh, this is what's going to happen. So it really, all of a sudden, less people were skipping, more people were going, more people were dealing with their resistance and end up being a real wow. helpful tool for it, us. It sort of offers all different kinds of perspectives in that system. That's yeah. really interesting. Um, so you've also worked with changing the dynamics of, you know, interviewing the the domestic violence offenders as well as victims. Um, can you talk a bit about the motivational techniques used with domestic violence offenders? It sounds like you sort of addressed that a little just well, then. But in, in motivational <coughs> interviewing, the whole thing is rolling with the resistance, right. helping the client identify what their needs were and, and pointing out discrepancies. So let's say client A who hasn't gone to the batter's intervention program and says he doesn't have time. He has a wife and three kids to take care of. So then we'll talk, you know, how many people here have a wife and multiple kids? How are you guys able to juggle that? So we have some clients who have five kids, some who have six, some whose wife just had twins. Mm -hmm. So they can talk about how they're juggling that. Um, We can also talk about, point out the discrepancy. Okay, you heard from all these guys. It sounds like the judge is going to give you one day jail for every day you missed. Mm -hmm. Is that going to be consistent with your desire to spend more time with your family? Do you think your wife and kids are going to go to jail with you for those eight days that you're going to be in there? Or do you think there's going to be eight days you're not going to have any access to them and not be earning any income to help support your family that you say you care so much about? Right. So maybe I understand you don't want to give up that two hours a week to go to class, but it's 
you tell me which is going to be more advantageous to your goal. Right. right. He gets to tell. I don't tell him what to do. I don't tell him what to think. I help him assess where he's at in his life space and what's going to be the best goal for him. And we don't really argue with them. We just kind of point out what's going to happen. And you can also tap into the strengths of the other clients who have done well. Clients who you never thought would make it, had never graduated high school, never did, you know, all of a sudden they got their GED, they're finishing this program, and you can compliment them and the successes. We're not going to compliment them and say they're not a batterer because I don't know. Right. But I do know he made it through his batteries and intervention program. He got his GED. He completed his drug testing class. He hasn't ever tested positive in two years. You know, there's a lot to be proud of with just identifying that and let him be able to brag and tell other clients how they can, too, be successful. So you've also worked on changing the focus of the victim interview as well. Can you talk about the importance of playing the role of an information provider to the victim rather than an information gatherer and why this shift is so significant? Probation officers are trained really well on how to gather information, mm-hmm. right? And so we set somebody down and you almost interrogate them, right? We ask them all these questions about very intimate, personal shameful experiences that they had. And then sometimes we get frustrated when people aren't forthcoming with that information. We talked a little bit about sometimes if people are forthcoming with that information. So let's say I make you feel very comfortable and very safe. You give up more information than you really would have been in your best interest. Mm -hmm. And now as uh, agent of the court, I have to provide it to the court. The assailant gets to read it and hear what you told me. And now there's retaliation against you. I've accomplished nothing. Right. I mean, so really what I want to do in my interviews is ask you questions in a way that even if you aren't honest, even if you can't be honest, when you leave my room, if you're a victim of domestic violence, you understand what that means. If you're at higher risk than the general population, you understand what risk factors are. That you understand what community resources are in place that would be more advantageous to you than the court. So maybe I'm not the best person to tell, but maybe knowing that Teresa Johnson at the shelter specializes in sexual abuse and trauma, then you could go talk to her 100% confidential would be life-changing for you. That's what we mean. So it's really a way for probation officers to ask questions. If a victim feels empowered enough or safe enough to disclose, she can. But if she doesn't, doesn't mean I'm not successful. And I, I think sometimes probation officers felt like they were non-successful. I just spent a half hour or an hour with this person and I got no goods. Right. Well, you know what? If you got no goods and her life is safer, she knows what resources are available, she knows what the system can and can't do for her, you are 100% successful and you should be extremely proud of the time that you spent. Right. And so that's kind of what we mean by it's, it's less about pro- gathering and more about providing. And I even start out the interviews now, I tell when I meet with the individual who's been victimized, I say, no, I'm gonna ask you very personal questions that are probably none of my business, other than the fact that I wanna make a recommendation to the court that's gonna make your life safer um, and better help the offender change his behavior. However, if you think answering any questions are gonna endanger you, you are not on probation, you are not required to answer anything. What you can do is just say, Jim, I prefer not to answer that question, and I will never document that. So I'm trying to work to bridge that gap. Instead of giving the victim a card and saying, I think you should call this person, which she won't because it's too shameful, it's too difficult. I'm going to say, we care enough about you to reach out to you at a time that's convenient and safe for you. And I have a good enough relationship with my partners that I believe they'll do that. They'll never come back and tell me they did because they have confidentiality. But I trust them as individuals that if I say, Teresa, will you please call Mrs. Johnson? Here's what I'm concerned about. Here's what happened in our meeting today. 
I have faith that somebody will call her that could be a, a sister. Excellent. Well, thank you for letting me ask you the questions today. I'm Sarah Schweig, and I've been talking to Jim Henderson about probation group conferencing, motivational interviewing techniques with domestic violence offenders, and the importance of collaboration within the community to address domestic violence. To find out more about the Center for Court Innovation, you can visit our website at www.courtinnovation.org. Thank you for listening. Thank you.